Good afternoon, and welcome to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Do you want to help make the world a better place but don't know where to start? Join us as we explore the possibilities on today's show with inspiring guests, uplifting music, and new ideas. So, let's get started. Here are your hosts, Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead. What you're about to hear is a pre-recorded interview that has been altered. The identity of the guest has been removed to protect the guest. The conversation and topics remain intact. Welcome to Rise and Shine. Not just for mornings anymore. I'm your host, Uncle Mark Olmstead. And I'm Lorianne Rising. Non-traditional is becoming a bit of a buzzword when it comes to lifestyle choices. But what does it really mean? And what is it really like to live a life that doesn't match societal norms? Today, we have the honor and privilege to see through the eyes of someone whose lived experience is non-traditional in several different ways. This is a content creator and self-advocate. Their work seeks to promote acceptance and improve quality of life for the LGBTQ and disability communities. In many ways, life is non-traditional. They are self-employed in the emerging field of content creation, were born with a very rare set of birth defects called Vodder, and is openly non-binary and autistic. Finding their reality often does not match social norms and traditional expectations, created the YouTube channel to show that it is completely valid to be ourselves, even if our lives are not what society expects. Welcome. Thank you for creating a web, uh, uh, a web presence that says that kind of message. That, mm. that's... So what is your definition of, of non-traditional? I think there's two major aspects to that. There's the identity side. So for me, I identify as non-binary as far as my gender. Well, a lot of people expect you to identify as either male or female. But there can also be the experience side. And I definitely think with my life being non-traditional, it's both in my identity and in my experiences. So it's taken me more than four years to graduate college We often think of college as taking only four years, even though plenty of people either graduate early or take more than four years. There's the way I learned how to drive is definitely not even what I expected growing up. I grew up thinking, okay, I'm going to learn how to drive on my parents' car. Very traditional path. You know, once I became old enough to get my permit, just learning as a teenager, But then by the time I became a teenager, my family did not have a car at that point. And I ended up having to save up to buy myself a car. But then I had to temporarily put it in my parents' name. Then we switched the title after I got my driver's license. And that all happened in my 20s when I thought it was going to happen as a teenager. So even when I went out expecting to follow traditional paths, I just keep having this reoccurring theme in my life of, things don't go the way we expect. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm trying to remind myself of that these days too. (laughs) Well, and I think that's an incredibly important aspect of life itself. Just how like the expectations were given of like, here's what life's going to be like. And that underlying for some people, there can be a lot of shame or guilt or frustration or 
all kinds of stuff built up around that where it's like, well, but I didn't meet expectations. And working through those aspects and what a beautiful message that it's like, hey, it's okay. Like it's, it doesn't have to be what the expectations said they would be. Like you're still doing it. You know, I think that's the important part. You're still doing it. How cool is that? Mm -hmm. Hey, I have a question, though. Uh, when in the introduction, we're referring to they and use of the word they in terms of, so is the, the pronouns that are used, I want to be clear to know how to properly address and, and communicate. Uh, can you help clarify around some of that? <laughs> sure. So kind of like gender, a lot of people think, of pronouns as also being a binary of he, him, or she, her. But there are people who use they, them. There's also more than that, just they, them. But I'm more experienced with using they, them than speaking on. um, There's even more than that. But basically, you would use it the way you would for plural, even though you're using it to refer to a singular person. So they are, they will that's the way you would phrase it. And honestly, it can feel a little awkward at first before I started using they them to refer to myself. I had some friends who started using it and it was before I came out as non-binary as well. So back then I was still just passing as my gender assigned at birth. And it felt awkward to me to use it for other people and to use they them to refer to people that I know. But after using it for a few years, it became so natural. And I started to learn about how far back singular they, them goes. It's been used in literature for hundreds of years. Shakespeare, Jane Austen are some famous examples that use they, them for singular. And I've also heard people point out that we tend to use singular they, them for people when we know their profession, but not necessarily the individual that we're about to speak to. So if you're in the ER and you know the doctor will see you soon, you might say they will be there here soon, or I I wish they would be here sooner. Or if you're in a restaurant and you don't know who your waiter is yet, you might also say they will be here soon. We tend to do it naturally, and then it feels awkward when we know who the person is and we're trying to consciously use singular they them even though we tend to do it in natural speech anyway although the reason part of the reason it feels awkward is there was a point historically when schools were teaching to default to he him even for unknown gender so there was a bit of unlearning for people who grew up being taught to use he him Also, that there's a lot of assumptions, sometimes going back to the idea of professions, that sometimes we assume that the nurse will be a woman and the doctor will be a man and the waiter is going to be a man and the waitress will be a woman, even though in reality, there's plenty of female doctors, there's plenty of male nurses. There are people who will assume she or her just based on gender stereotypes, but on average, there are times where we'll use they, them. Maybe it's for a baby when we don't know the gender of the baby yet, but the 
mm-hmm. mother is pregnant, we might use they, them and not even think about it. We just kind of naturally do it because we don't know the gender of the baby yet. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So this is so, I just, I, I just have to say this is, this is cool. the coolest and most important. One of the, 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 I mean, this is so good to be able to have this conversation, you know, cause there's, this is like some of the, the stereotypical programmed, like laid down foundational kinds of things that are happening every day that we're right, that we're, we're being a part of that we have no idea about. And, and it's mm-hmm. so cool to have a platform to actually discuss this and these kinds of things uh, and, well, have, and it, have attention drawn to it. So thank you. It's, it's so interesting to me too, just to notice how deeply ingrained pronouns are. And to recognize that it's really just kind of a Western culture thing. Like my understanding is many, many Native American tribes, and I don't know if it's all of them, but I do know many of them had up to five genders that were, that was normal. They didn't have a binary system for gender. And I recall when we went to Standing Rock, when they were doing the protests, they talked about that, that there was um, one of them that comes to mind is the two-spirit uh, was one of the genders that they referred to, and it was just as normal as anybody else. And so I'm loving the fact that we're, we now as a Western culture are starting to break some of those things down and acknowledge that there is more that is natural than we have allowed room for in our language. Well, and that we are both male and female. Every single one of us has, has both masculine and feminine and at least gender, you know, as sides of our spirit. I would, mm-hmm. for, in my understanding of, of, the, of the terminology as a way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so it, it's, I think, referring to each other as they is actually more accurate probably you know, <laughs> than, uh, than, than trying to be individually. So along those lines, what might be some additional ways for us who are so used to a binary system and may not even think about it because we happen to fit, you know, what are some ways that we can, I guess, help break that down or help, you know, just shift ourselves or what what can we do in our own languaging to make more room for all the diversity that there is. I think I became more aware of it after I came out because for a long time I did just try to pass and not be myself. And then all of a sudden I started to pay more attention to it. And I realized there's a lot of little everyday moments where we assume someone's gender and there's no reason to be doing that. So especially in customer service settings, or I'll be at a doctor's appointment and the person at the front desk might call my name and they might say ma'am or sir, even after they know my name. And it's like, at that point, why don't you just use my name? Why are you like, ma'am, come here? Or sometimes they'll misgender me and, you know, assume sir, even though I was assigned female at birth and now identify as non-binary, some people do assume me to be male as well. And it's like, okay, how do we make these decisions though? Or I was working a job where it was a pride event during pride month and people were wearing they, them pens. And our boss told us, make sure you greet the guests as we took their tickets using ma'am, using sir. 
you know, be like this way, sir, or hope you have a great day, ma'am. And it's like, you don't need to be doing that though. There's these small moments like that. Or sometimes I notice when they'll do the actions online where it's like, write a letter to your senators or your congressmen. And then they'll make you put a salutation like miss or, or uh, Mr. or those. And some of them require it. Like you're filling out these online forms and it requires you to choose one and they don't always give the option of using, there's something MX um, is supposed to be a gender neutral one. Although honestly, I'd rather just not use any. And just that sometimes they'll require a salutation. It's like, why, why can't I just put my name? And I just noticed this, that there'll be these little moments or even something. I mean, I just did it kind of cause we're so used to it. Congressman going back to that example or mailman, you know, these little bits of language just assume a male person in that job and just getting used to more gender neutral language. I mean, there's still some that I'm trying to unlearn because you grow up with it and then you find yourself using it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and some of that I'm, I'm thinking through, you know, older generations, it was a sign of respect. It was, it was their way of honoring, you know, maybe you know, Mr. in terms of, you know, there, there's a level of, of, I don't know how to refer to it, but it may feel a little bit awkward at first to drop those things because that level of respect is so ingrained that that's how we show to somebody, you know, the ma'am or the sir or some of those things. And so shifting that it sounds like that's part of the equation that it's a relearning how to be respectful to each other in a whole new way that isn't based on, on gender. Yeah. I mean, the one that really doesn't make sense to me is again, when I was working at that pride event and you had people wearing they, them pins, but the supervisor was telling us to remember to use sir and Mr. And, and, and those kind of language, but how is that being respectful if the person's wearing a they then pin? Yeah, that but, seems out of place. It almost like he should have known better in that particular setting that that's your uh, supervisor should have. <clears throat> yeah. Been a little more conscious of his audience or. Yeah, that, that does seem off for sure. Her audience. Her audience. <laughs> but it's just so ingrained that we don't yeah. think about it. Yeah. That, that even wow. at a pride that there. we're generating people. Uh-huh. Wow. You know, it reminds me to uh, a friend of mine I've known for, I don't even know how long. I want to say eight or 10 years or something, at least I was still married. And that was 10 years ago that that we met. So that was, it's been a while. Anyway, the point is, um, when I met him, he identified as her and has since transitioned. And I mean, every time I speak to him or talk to him or see it, he just, there's an energy where it's like, he is so much more who he is as a being since the transition. Um, But it still, it took me a long time to be able to shift the pronouns in my own head. And even now, thinking back to when we met, it's still odd because it it was different when we met, you know, like it... (laughs) How do I, 
he was a she then. Right. So when she and I met, he and I, you know, it shifts and changes and it's fluid. And it, it just really made me so deeply conscious of how ingrained that is and how I want to say confining the English languages. It's almost like we need to be making up new words that allow for more. Is there is that happening? Well, that you have that with the word partners. Um, speaking of marriage, um, mm-hmm. there was a book. I have it on my bookshelf. I forget the title unless I pull it down real fast. But uh, oh, Bingo Love, I think is what it was called. It was just this comic, and it was about these two gay women who when they're younger, their parents don't accept them and, and eventually they get married. And at their wedding, they say partners for life instead of I pronounce you husband and wife. And it's just this beautiful statement of I pronounce you partners for life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we always have to do that, but I think having options like that for people who want to say this isn't, you know, they don't want to say husband or wife, they want to say partner you know, for people who want to do that, that is a gender neutral option. That's mm-hmm. I think that's super. You know, and it's interesting because Mark and I will use that. And I do find sometimes when I talk about my partner, I can watch the look on somebody's face because they're starting to do a checklist in their head. Am I talking about a business partner? Am I talking about a female partner? Am I talking about a life partner who happens to be like, I can see their eyes going through this checklist of like, what do I mean by partner? <laughs> it's, are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of that. Yeah. And, and people have asked me too. It's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, yes, all of the above, you know, kind of thing. So I love that our language is evolving and growing and expanding and rising. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. I got stumped though um, when I was talking to someone and they asked me, what is the gender neutral for aunt or uncle? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and I was thinking about it and I was like, I really don't know. I even Googled it and I could not find an answer for that. Oh, wow. Well, oh. we still have more room to grow. There you go. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, as, as Uncle Mark, I better fi- be figuring that one out, I guess. Well, you you do identify though as a he him, so I, I, uncle still fits. So, well, yeah. I think also something to keep in mind is there are non-binary people who will still use some gendered language. Like I was thinking about it. If I ever have kids, I think I would be okay with being called mom, because I I think I would be okay with certain gendered language. But for some reason, the he and she just have so many assumptions to them. I think there's something so sweet about the word mom while she has, it just, it doesn't have the same connotation to it. Hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that part before. And I guess, so I'm wanting to ask, and I'm not sure how really to ask the question. Um, The the idea of being non-binary, like I am so used to the, the binary world. I'm, I guess, like on one hand, I get, you know, what non-binary refers to both and, but I guess there's another level at which like, what does it really mean to you to identify as non-binary? I think for me growing up, I didn't know about non-binary people or gender fluid people, gender queer, gender fluid, any of these terminology 
beyond male or female. I did grow up knowing about trans men and women, but it wasn't until high school that I learned about language like non-binary. And growing up, I always thought in the back of my mind that I was transgender. But every time I tried to identify as a trans man, I was like, this doesn't feel right. And every time I tried to identify as a woman, I was like, this doesn't feel right either. Because so many aspects of my life just kept crossing the gender binary. I loved wearing a prom dress, but I played sports growing up. And I didn't feel like a tomboy when I played sports. I just really liked the cardio aspect. I had a lot of boys' hobbies and girls' hobbies. I like to phrase it as I played with Barbies and I played sports because those are the ones we associate. You know, we tell sometimes people are like, you're a boy, don't play with those Barbies. But I did that. And we'll say sometimes there's still some people who think girls shouldn't wear, you know, pants and stuff like that. There are people like that out there. And I just noticed that I kept shifting between different aspects of the gender binary where sometimes I wore makeup, sometimes I didn't, sometimes I wore a dress, sometimes I wore a suit, sometimes I'm playing sports, and sometimes I'm watching Wings Club, and sometimes I'm watching really boyish shows, and I think a lot of it came down to, like, why are we labeling this as that's for boys and that's for girls? Like, even just walking into Toys R Us growing up, um, I'd be, like, trying to go to the boys section or the girls section and find myself trying to shop in both sections or same thing in the clothing store. That every time I tried to stick to one section or the other, it's like, why? My interests are on both sides. Like, I had a toy microscope growing up, and I had plenty of girls' toys as well. Why is a microscope considered a boys thing? Um, but then when I would try to phrase it as, okay... I'm going to be a girl in STEM or I'm going to be a female filmmaker. That didn't really feel right either. You know, as much as we try to push for inclusion for girls in these fields, I didn't feel like a girl doing it. I just felt like myself doing it. So as much as I tried to put myself in these boxes, it just didn't feel right. I just wanted to be myself and do these things and not worry about, okay, if I put on a suit today, is someone going to think I'm a man? Like, who cares? Can I just wear the suit? (laughs) It's a, and, and so did you find um i mean like i was i've been attracted to girls since second grade you know that i can remember you know <laughs> and, and it was like this kind of obvious thing i never really had to even think about and so then when i got into the air force and started getting hit on by guys i had to actually started looking well, it's interesting what, what, this is a kind of strange experience you know and, and so uh but has there been a real clear, obvious uh, sexual gender preference choice for you early on that you've you've uh, uh, always known in one direction or other, or has that part been part of the confusion, perhaps? Or I, I'm just kind of trying to understand how the how, what that you know kind of extension of Lori's question there. What's it like to? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to understand, and a lot of people um, just assume they're linked, but sexuality and gender are definitely two different things. I mean, for me, I am bisexual. I am attracted to people of multiple genders, but there are also plenty of people who they can be transgender, but also straight or gay, and it's not necessarily being attracted to multiple genders, Um, And I think sometimes people get confused about that because 
let's say you're um, assigned male and you're attracted to men, but then you come out as a trans woman, well, you're still, that person is still attracted to men after they come out and they might just identify as straight then because at that point they're a trans woman um, and they're attracted to men. So it is something separate because even though they came out as transgender, their sexuality didn't change. But again, it goes back to how linked to gender our language is that a person in that example, they didn't change who they're attracted to. They were attracted to men the whole time. But when we think of a man attracted to a man, we say it's gay. Um, but when you have a woman attracted to a man, we say that's straight, but their sexuality didn't change. So I think we just have to also keep that in mind that gender and sexuality aren't always linked, that they are separate things. I am so loving and appreciating this conversation and we need to take a short break. So I have to interrupt there, but we will definitely come back and dive in even more. Uh, but I want to hear about your YouTube channel. What's that? I want to hear about your YouTube, the, the, uh, the, your YouTube channel. Yeah, we're, we'll definitely come back and cover that and cover a lot more ground. Um, but for right now, just a quick question for our listeners. How are you expressing your unique gifts, talents, and voice in the world? We want to hear your story and help you reach our worldwide audience. So visit riseandshineasone.com to learn more. And stay tuned for a song by our very own Mark Olmsted called Love Yourself right after this. In our changing world, how can you protect the self-esteem, confidence, and dreams of the children you love in just five minutes a day, even from a distance? To learn more about Uncle Mark's best indie book award-winning kids book, his music, and resources to support families, visit truesunbeam.com. And if you're an author or musician with a similar mission, learn how to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. Visit Uncle Mark at truesunbeam.com. Are you a woman who's tired of staying silent and people-pleasing at the expense of your own health, wealth, and happiness? Discover the roadmap to self-confidence and freedom in Lorianne Rising's international award-winning book, You, Rising, Reclaim Your Life, Live Your Purpose. And if you're an author whose nonfiction or memoir makes a powerful difference, you're invited to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. For books, resources, and show details, visit LorianneRising.com. Somebody else 
realize and love is here to stay Meditate and celebrate and get out of your own way Listen to your heart to hear the message of your muse Administering internally your remedy for the blues Show you the way to love yourself Love yourself Cause when you love yourself Then you can love somebody else You gotta love yourself Learn to not love yourself Cause when you love yourself Then you can love somebody else All I need is always with me All along the way And a brand new choice is offered to me Each and every moment of the day It on the news A recent finding just released Your remedy for the blues Won't be in no drugstore And you won't find it on the street 21st century diet plan To make your life complete Just learning how to love yourself Love yourself Cause when you love yourself Then you can love somebody else You gotta Navigate the steps You'll be seeing how you orchestrate the test Showing you the way to be your very best So that you can really love somebody else You gotta love yourself Always gonna love yourself Cause when you love yourself Then you can love somebody else Somebody else Alright Welcome back. You're listening to Rise and Shine, and that was Love Yourself on the CD titled One Piece at a Time by my co-host and partner here, Mark Olmsted. You can download the song or the entire CD on his website at www.truesunbeam.com. We're here today talking with about what it means to live a non-traditional life. And before the break, I had mentioned that I'm, I'm, I am really looking forward to hearing about your YouTube channel and, uh, and finding out more about how you're connecting and breaking down the barriers and, and things. But uh, in the introduction, we had mentioned uh, that the disability called Vodder, and I'm curious to know more about that. Is, can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. So do you want me to just give a description of it maybe first? Sure. Please. Yeah, that'd be great. So basically, it's a set of birth defects. So, of course, I was born with it. And a lot of it is towards the center of my body. Just certain organs didn't develop in the way that we consider uh, average or normal or however you want to phrase it. It mostly affects my respiratory digestive system. Um, and a couple others, but mostly digestive is the one it impacts the most. And my anatomy is just 
different. And a lot of times when I go to see doctors, I have to remind them that the way I digest food, the way that I digest medications, especially, sometimes we have to adjust the dosage, just keeping that in mind that my digestive system is a little slower, that some of the muscles don't uh, naturally contract the as much as they should. So I also can't go to bed right after I eat, or at least I shouldn't, because um, I depend a little bit on gravity to digest food. And a lot of people aren't used to that. Or um, a big one that I get is uh, one of the medications I take, people are like, oh, that's birth control. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's if I didn't take this, I would have extremely irregular periods. And even the doctors will use that phrasing. And it's like, no, I know it's birth control, but that's not why I take it. Um, and it's just trying to remind people of little things like that when your anatomy is so unique. Or there was another time where I was going for an ultrasound and I actually scared the nurse because she was going to do the ultrasound. And she's like, I, I can't find it. Like she was trying to find a certain organ and she was like, why is it not there? And I was like, did they tell you I bought her? And they're like, no. So she had to go back and check the doctor's notes. And I, I just, that was one of the first moments in my life. Um, Cause that was like years ago when the, that happened with the nurse and it's like, wow. Yeah. My body for the most part on the outside looks normal, but internally it is pretty different. So when, even when they're just going to do an ultrasound, it's important to keep that in mind. Wow. This is so. This is something that obviously is rare. Do, do do you find doctors then maybe are not familiar with it at all, or do you have you run into that? Uh, that yeah, it's a it's a huge problem. Uh, I had a lot of trouble transitioning out of pediatric care because unfortunately, one of the other things that happens with water is you tend to get surgeries when you're a baby. There's a lot of follow up care for those surgeries but there's not a lot of follow-up once you're an adult, which doesn't really make sense because you're born with it. You're never going to outgrow it. It's just part of your anatomy, but there's such a focus on it in pediatric care. Now, some of that is also because medical care for it has gotten better. I mean, not everyone survived before. And then the people who did survive sometimes went undiagnosed because if you're, if you had a case that was way more mild and didn't require surgery and you might've just gone unnoticed, so there's just more awareness of it now and better medical care for the um, kids who are born with it who really do need surgery. So, I mean, I was one of the first to get the surgeries that I got. Um, I got some that were still <laughs> being, that was the first couple surgeries that that doctor did. And, you know, it's just, that's how rare it is that even if I had been born a couple years sooner, I might've gotten completely different surgeries. Um, so then you go to see these doctors and especially in adult care, a lot of them aren't familiar or even if they are familiar, they only know the basics. And because it's affecting my anatomy, it's very important that they know the more specific information, but a lot of times they don't. So it's something you found out about early on though, I mean, in terms of your, your own experience and your own life and and I'm, I'm thinking in terms of listeners uh, that's it's it's di- it's known about or what what are the perhaps um symptoms that you that called attention to the to to learn about it yeah well we we knew day one because one of Honestly. i mean it's an acronym so not everyone has all the different parts but one of the parts i did have is 
uh, my trachea and my esophagus were not attached in a way that was functional and day one they had to do surgery on it and it's um uh, there's a specific surgery for that so they knew immediately it's like the baby's not breathing right you know so they just had to put me straight into surgery um so there was sort of anatomy where it was really obvious but then some of the kids who are born with the um uterus uh, stuff that I take medication for sometimes they don't notice that until they go to have kids because that part you know I mean I didn't notice that part until I started having periods so the trachea stuff I mean you notice breathing right away but you don't think about periods until you're older mm-hmm. there's do they know about any kind of cause that maybe your parents experienced or did or something that that is a that this is a result of that um, unfortunately there's just not that much research on it that they're still not sure and it's just so rare Mm. and i think it's really something they've only become aware of the last couple years because like i said so many people with it went undiagnosed before if they had a case that didn't require surgery and they later in life found out oh my anatomy is a little different and it's just something that they're starting to become more and more aware of as technology medical technology and imaging just gets better you know we didn't have the ultrasound technology and the MRI technology that we have now we didn't have that before so Mm. you might not know right away before the way you do now see that to me just goes back to how much nature loves variety and we forget that that like we don't even you know human beings are a species but they were all born in a wide variety of rain you know ranges and forms and all kinds of things that it's it's not a cookie cutter it's it's adaptations yeah. and evolutions and yeah. i mean that's why i don't like problem-based healthcare because besides it focus on on um acute conditions and it tends to forget about people like me that have lifelong conditions but also some of my anatomy differences are not a problem. There's nothing functionally that is a problem with some of the differences in my anatomy. Like my wrists, if this was a video, I've shown it on my channel, my wrists are very flexible, but I've played sports. I've never really had that much of an issue with it, except for it took me a tiny bit longer to learn how to beat an egg and stuff like that. But once I figured it out, I was fine. Um, But you know, there's nothing to treat there and doctors often look for something to treat they want to have an issue to bill to the insurance unfortunately with the way that we have healthcare in the united states but some of my anatomy is just my anatomy it is just the variations that we see among people that we don't discuss and goes back to just being non-traditional it's not necessarily bad it's just that's what it is So it sounds to me like you have really had to take on the role of being fully responsible and really a self-advocate for yourself. I mean, it sounds like if the doctors don't know, you can't necessarily rely, it sounds like, on your charts to relay the information because the nurse had that and obviously didn't look or didn't notice or something. Uh, You know, so you. it sounds like you've really had to take on a whole different role for yourself in your life so what what is that piece really like what does it look like for you for the the self-advocacy sometimes self-advocacy can be something like the youtube channel where i'm just openly being myself and trying to provide some representation 
But I think the one people tend to focus on is when we talk about self-advocacy and this work is very important, but it can be a lot more time consuming and stressful and stuff is the making sure our needs are met and advocating, advocating for certain laws to be changed and that type of work. Um, but I think sometimes we forget that something as simple as being ourselves has a lot of power to it. I mean, a lot of the stuff that even we talked about today, if you asked me about this a couple of years ago, I closeted so much of this and it didn't help. It definitely lowered my quality of life to hide aspects of who I was. So I think just simply discussing our experiences can be self-advocacy, but it also is important to be doing the part that is more just making sure our needs are met. I mean, I have spent so many hours talking just between the insurance company and doctors and trying to find certain specialists when it just, at points, even my insurance company was like, maybe you just won't be able to find a doctor who understands fodder. And it's like, come on, I was born with this. There's got to be someone out there who understands it. And sometimes people are willing to give up and it's like, I just got to not give up and it can be very frustrating, but I think the more fun aspect is just talking about it, you know, um, instead of always just trying to fight it. <laughs> mm, cool. Well, that, that is a lot of work and, and yet it's something that for you, it's, it's not really a choice either. It's not like you can just decide, okay, I'm, I'm just, I mean, I'm sure you can decide, okay, well today I'm not up for that particular phone call. I'll do it tomorrow. But it's not like you can't ever make that call. You know, you, you yeah. can't walk away from the lifestyle, essentially. And, you know, it sounds like to me there was sort of a, I want to say a before and after, a decision where you decided to stop closeting and just start being. And I'm, I'm curious, what, what for you led to that decision and what has that, been like for you you know kind of what you know what is the before and after yeah it was mainly going to college and freshman year of college and sophomore year and beginning of junior year I just saw this major decline in my health physically mentally and at first I thought it was just because unfortunately freshman year there was a medication I was taking for my digestive system and the manufacturer changed it and that threw off my health because then I had to like readjust medications. But then the more I thought about it, it's like that was the start of, okay, I am just upset that all of a sudden my functionality has gone down because I'm all of a sudden having health issues that I haven't had in years because the medication was helping me with it and now it's not. And then apparently I didn't even need the medication anymore because when I stopped taking it completely, it actually was better. But then I started to think, larger life and it's like well I've also been causing my gender and I've been closeting a lot of aspects of my family experiences I mean even on the YouTube channel a lot of times I don't talk about that um, but more because it's not just me but you know that brings into other people's experiences that don't mm -hmm. want it to be discussed but you know there's just so many aspects of who I am that I was trying to conform to and I would go to fill out forms and things and there was no checkbox. Like even something as simple as employment and I would go to fill out for, um, to try to get Medicaid. Uh, a lot of the Medicaid applications, they want hourly work and you gotta like say how many hours per week and how much money you make per week. And it's like, 
well, I'm self-employed and my income varies. And it took a lot of phone calls just to explain to the county assistance office that. And for a while, I just let it frustrate me of like, why is my life so unusual? Why, you know, why do people seem to not understand that that's not who I am? And then I think it just clicked at one point that instead of trying to fight it, instead of trying to conform and hide who I am, what if I just be myself and let the world deal with it? Like, why am I the one trying to conform to a world that doesn't fit my reality? Let's let the rest of the world deal with who I am. And it just felt so much better that instead of trying to fit myself in these checkboxes, let's just not fill out that part of the form and explain why I didn't fill it out, you know? Boy, that sounds so good. <laughs> just, okay. No, send me the right form. Come on. You know, this is not, this is not my form. No, it's so simple. It's like, even yeah. like, sometimes you'll be filling out these forms and it's like, are you employed? Or are you not employed? And then they'll be like, how many hours per week? And it's like, when mm. you're self-employed, that kind of stuff just doesn't apply as easily. Yeah. You know? Yeah, very familiar with that particular aspect. But I, I just, I mean, even just hearing the, the subtle shift in your voice, it sounds mm. like there's been a lot of freedom and making a decision to just be. And yeah, I mean, I I remember I used to like cry about it. Like it, it was very emotional of like, you know, you, you start to just, you know, almost try to grieve it of like, you know, why can't I just be normal? And then you realize it's like, why am I upset about it though? Like there's nothing wrong with who I am. Like why is the world trying to make me someone else? And it takes a bit of a mind shift, but for a long time, I did try to conform and closet and none of that was healthy. You know, I have a feeling that you just spoke to an underlying piece of what so many people go through that there is this sort of, why can't I be like everyone expects or why can't I be like, you know, what's normal? Why can't I fit in? And you wouldn't be, ha you know, you wouldn't have your YouTube channel. You wouldn't be sharing this gift. You, there's so many things that are a gift just being you that you wouldn't be doing if you were still trying to fit in. And, and it's also just like what's left, me being miserable, trying to be someone I'm not, you know, because mm -hmm. when you try to be something you're not, how do you be that? You don't know anything about that. You're just, you become an actor in everyday life and it just, it doesn't work. Well, and if, if we're if there are no accidents, supposedly, there's a lot of spiritual beliefs around the idea that that God don't make junk, you know? And so what's the role that we're here to play? If if we don't honor who we truly are, then you know, how are we gonna find out what that role is? And so I think you're you're being a great example for a lot of us. That uh, that it's it's really important to try to figure figure out that definition of what it means to be me, and and to give that room to to have a place to show up. And um, so, thank you for being the example of that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, and so along the self advocacy thing, what what uh, what are some of the the problems that show up that you run into in terms of being that you in a society where you're supposed to either be a round or a square peg to fit in the insurance categories or the, or the, the check boxes. Um, 
there, there was something about uh, microaggressions that we've heard about in your in your um, uh, examples from your channel. Uh, what what are what are microaggressions, and can you share some examples of those? Yeah, so it's just like little pieces of speech or like tiny actions. It's like the small everyday things that happen to marginalized groups that, you know, it just, it, it feeds off stereotype. It just further oppresses them, but it's not necessarily clear discrimination. Like it could be done and meant to be a compliment, but it's not a compliment. Like when someone says, oh, you don't look autistic. And it's like, why would you say that though? <laughs> you know, mm. okay, I don't look autistic, but I'm autistic, you know, but people will say stuff like that. Um, you know, some people think autism is a bad thing when it's not. And then they'll say stuff like that of like, you don't look autistic. Or another famous example of a microaggression is the idea of um, a woman holding their purse when a man walks by um, because of the societal norm of, oh, I might get robbed. Um, even if you're not really in danger, that's a very common example of a microaggression. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how, you know, it could be our body language. It can be our words. Um, another one that I ran into and it did kind of hurt was when a family friend, I had to um, interview them for homework about just job advice. And I was supposed to interview someone that um, had a career that I was interested in. And I was just talking to this woman, asking her the questions that were on my homework. And at one point she says to me, you know, if you want to do better in job interviews, I think you should really start wearing makeup. And it's just like, okay, but like, it's so ingrained that here is a woman, you know, telling someone else that they should wear makeup because they grew up thinking that you have to wear makeup. It's not even about wanting to wear makeup. And those just become these microaggressions where, you know, she didn't mean it in a mean way. It wasn't supposed to be mean. She thought she was being helpful, but it just perpetuates some stereotypes when people say stuff like that of like, you should wear makeup or you should shave or, you know, any of that mm -hmm. kind of language. It sounds like it's the kinds of things that would be, I want to say, unconsciously guiding somebody back into the box. Yeah, that's a good way of phrasing it is a lot of it is unconscious. So it's these small everyday things and we don't even think about it. Mm. Okay. And wow. so uh, that, but this brings to mind a, a, a thought that I want to, I want to ask because I've, I've, I've kind of have this, this philosophy and I've, I've since ever since I heard this the first time that we cause as much damage, I think is how it goes. We cause as much damage by taking offense as by being offensive, as we do by being offensive, I think is how it goes. What do you think about that phrase? I don't think, honestly, that it applies here, though, because, again, it's the microaggressions, they repeat stereotypes that, okay. okay, I could not take it personally, but just that the other person believes that, that they believe autism is a bad thing and they use language like, deficits and stuff like that, you know, I could not take it personally, but they're still using that language, you know? Mm. Okay. And, 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 we could, and, so and this, and, and I, I really hate to interrupt here. 
And we could, oh, this is such a juicy conversation. We're going to have to pick this up again sometime. But we are getting near the end of our show. And I want to make sure that people know where to find you and connect with you and keep learning from you because, um, wow. Can we <laughs> keep this going a bit and maybe add some more to the to the fan club? We could. Would you mind extending a few more minutes after the sure. show? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Okay. So thank you. In the meantime, though, for for those that are catching the main show, um, where can they? What is where? Where can they find you? Mm-hmm. So my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash. I upload videos every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, and I just try to talk about different aspects of my life. I think lately we've focused a lot on being LGBTQ and disabled, but sometimes I just talk about self-care, or I made a video recently just talking about how I was feeling unmotivated and just talking about validating that feeling instead of you know, just taking a moment to think about why I felt unmotivated instead of just ignoring that feeling. You know, I try to discuss my experiences in general on the channel every Wednesday. Wow. That's awesome. It's important to to have a space for for being supportful for everybody. So thank you for for doing Thank you so much for everything and for being here and and sharing so much and we're going to continue our conversation but before we go we want to remind you that Lorianne and i are on a mission to create a world that works for everyone and to uplift voices that aren't perhaps non-traditional you know and aren't typically heard so if you or someone you know is an author a musician or an innovator like who's challenging old paradigms and opening hearts and minds we want to help you reach out and uh, and reach our worldwide audience. Visit riseandshineas1.com to learn more. So thank you so much for being with us today. And remember, until next time. Wherever you are. There's always time. For remembering to rise, rise and shine. <laughs> All right. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to Rise and Shine. Please join Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead for another great show next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, keep rising and shining. Stop on the job.